Welcome back to episode 12 of the Into the Wee Hours podcast. This week, we speak with Toby Lukens, an overall exceptional person, and I am particularly excited to have Toby on. Toby and I worked at a summer camp in California starting back in 2009, and since then, Toby has created quite a wonderful life for himself. With roots based back in Adelaide, Toby speaks about his introduction to the outdoors through a TAFE course that gave him a wide range of experiences and skills, which eventually brought him to California for nine summers as a continued outdoor journey. While Toby has no doubt had an incredible range of adventures and experiences, we mostly focus here on his most recent trip across the Continental Divide, a feat in itself that he not only completed in a very respectable time, but he also did on a homemade bike. In this conversation, Toby gave us insights on his experience riding the divide, making a homemade bike that could handle the trip, and also of the other hobbies he loves doing and how he does it all around working, being a husband, and a father of three. Toby is such a great example of who we love to showcase as he is an incredibly humble, everyday adventurer that we are proud to have on the show and share with you. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Toby Lukens. Cue the music with Kristen. To another episode of the Into the Wee Hours podcast. My name is Sarah Pendergrass and I am joined as always by my wonderful co-host Kristen Vorton. Hello. Today we are also joined by an incredible person, Toby Lukens. Toby, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Toby has recently finished riding across the Great Divide in the US, a huge accomplishment and one on most bikepackers' bucket list. Not only that, he did it on a bike that he made himself, and we'll dive into that later on. Toby has quite an impressive adventure resume and is an overall great guy that I am personally excited to welcome onto the podcast. I knew Toby back from 2009, probably actually a little bit earlier now that I think about it, so it's been over 10 years, <laughs> uh, when we worked together at a summer camp in California. So I'm stoked to have him on and hear about all of his recent adventures, how he balances everything around the most important things in his life, being a husband, a uh, father of three kids. So again, thank you for being on the podcast today, Toby. Hey, pleasure to be here. Yeah. <laughs> so we always like to kind of warm up our guests just with a little kind of quick fire question. Um, you obviously won't be super well known to most people who are listening. So it's just to kind of get everybody into the swing of the podcast. So to kick it off, Toby, is there anything that you cannot do? <laughs> uh, there's there many, many things I cannot do. I should uh, preface that by Toby not only makes his own bike, then rides it across America. Toby also does bike trials. Toby also makes canoes. Toby also, what else have I told you about Toby? Like, I, I've, I've essentially heard, Toby, that you are the most incredible human in the world. And Phil and Kristen are just like, he's amazing. So we just, we just want to hear one thing. If there's one thing you can't do, that would be awesome. I'm not a very good crocheter. Oh! Um, <laughs> have you tried? Uh, no, not very. I didn't knit. Oh, of course you knit. 
<laughs> Good one. I love it. All right. In terms of adventure, where is the most memorable place that you've ever camped? Oof. Uh, in some good spots, but I have to say I rode the uh, what's called the whole road several years ago. Uh, it's in northern Alaska. It's sort of the most northern point you can uh, get to. And uh, so I rode the dirt road from there back into Fairbanks. And uh, the camping out there, uh, probably the first and second night, we were up uh, in the Brooks Range, uh, very, very remote, so sort of very few people. Yeah, it'd have to be that or somewhere in the middle of Australia, I guess. Yeah, cool. Incredible. So you have done a bit in uh, in Australia as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, I used to work as a tour guide, so I used to drive, uh, take tours So uh, in through, uh, we had some, popular trip that took us in through Inaminka and uh, the Kunji Lakes region, which is sort of southern Queensland, uh, into uh, northern South Australia. Uh, I also rode um, from Perth to Adelaide uh, many years ago, so oh, cool. across the Nullarbor there. Yeah, wow, incredible. That'd be an awesome, awesome ride, hey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, craziest spot that you've ever unicycled? <laughs> uh, I probably haven't taken my uni that, that many crazy spots. Yeah. Um, okay. Probably up in the Sierras in California. Yeah. It's good riding. Nice one. So you mentioned there Alaska, um, Australia. In terms of wildlife encounters, what has been your most memorable? Uh, had a couple of, I mean, it, really the big ones are sort of, the, you know, the grizzlies and stuff like that up in Alaska. Like sort of Definitely the ones that stick with you. Uh, there was actually, I was riding through the Northern Rockies coming down through Canada and there was a big grass section actually with a herd of uh, buffalo wow. and we went through them and they actually took off but then a couple of few miles down the road there was two males that are just hanging out by themselves and one of them sort of looked at me and just started ambling my way kind of like with his eyeball on me sort of uh, wanted to show me who was boss and I was more than happy to move out of his way. <laughs> yeah, like this is your area I'm out man yeah, it's not, not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you do have quite a lot of like hobbies. Um, woodworking obviously be one of them. You know, biking and probably a lot that we don't also don't know about. What would be your favorite hobby that you do? Uh, I I mean I'd say woodworking right now. I get a lot of satisfaction. I don't get to do a lot unfortunately, just with everything else going on. But you know, I try and have something going on at time. Yeah, that's cool. Then some of the projects you do are, are very impressive and really beautiful. I showed Sarah the yeah. canoe that you did, and it's, yeah, it oh. looks beautiful. Do you still have it? I do. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we get out every now and again. Cool. Just, yeah, some of the images, like the kayak, everything just looks absolutely amazing. So um, Kristen actually wrote this. I like to go for shallow things like, do you like pineapple and pizza? <laughs> Whereas Kristen has written, what is your biggest accomplishment? Ooh. Uh, well, I mean, it really has to be family. I think totally. uh, yeah. seeing my kids running around and like just seeing them interact uh, in a nice manner with another kid or doing something good, and you kind of like, oh, I, you know, I was a big, you know, part of that. 
Absolutely. Beautiful. That was kind of like a softball so that you could hit it out. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to miss that one. That's it. Um, the last one we started to incorporate because we had a sports psychologist on and he was talking mm-hmm. about gratitude and how that's important, but also a bit about self-compassion and how that's kind of getting missed from a lot of people. Gratitude is a little bit more external sometimes, whereas self-compassion is a little bit more internal. So if you have to give yourself a compliment, what it, would it be? I think I, I'm good at being able to sort of just slowly work through a project and that, I feel like that's an important skill with this anyway, you know, having a family and lots of things going on to sort of start a project and see it through the ability to just. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Patience, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a good skill to have. Well, you made it through the quick fire questions. So good job. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. So now a little bit more of the uh, open-ended stuff. So again, Mm -hmm. with all of our guests, just to kind of introduce yourself to the listeners, I like to kind of open the floor up um, for a bit of an origin story. So in as many or little words as you would like, just kind of give a bit of a background for where you're from originally, kind of working your way to how you've got to where you are now. Yeah, uh, so I was born in Adelaide. Uh, I grew up there and... uh, I had very normal, you know, good fun childhood. Uh, I did, you know, ride, ride bikes a fair bit when I was younger. And uh, I think we lived, uh, we moved up to the hills when I was sort of uh, somewhere there uh, behind Adelaide. And uh, I I didn't end up getting a car until I was 32 or something, somewhere around there. So I, I did a lot of right cycling, uh, most of it just commuting there. Uh, so I did that. Um, sort of dropped out of high school and did a few, you know, random jobs and then actually got into uh, TAFE and uh, there was a, an amazing course there for a year and it was sort of an adventure and outdoor tourism course and it packed into a year, like, an incredible amount. Um, so we got into a really good community of the, the lecturers and then the other people in the course were great and we did everything for, you know, you, the TAFE there actually had a hospitality school. There was also a maintenance and mechanical um, vehicle school. So we'd spend one week, we'd be working on motor vehicles. Then you'd take them out in the dunes, get them bogged and recover them. Uh, the next week you, you're in with the chefs doing uh, food handling. And you know, then the next week you're out cooking in the desert and canoeing, kayaking, sea kayaking. Uh, and the lecturer there is sort of that we had for our, our main main guy was uh, a big part of the sea kayak community over there. He's paddled from the Caledonia back. He was the first guy to come, I think, by an island back to the mainland uh, by himself. So uh, we got into a good group of people that were then would go out and do our own trips and you know, experience things. That really got me into that. I got into adult guiding uh, there. And then I had a, a summer, well, sorry, winter in Australia come up that it was looking pretty quiet. And I had a few friends that had been working in uh, the Sierras in California at the summer camp. So uh, I heard about that. And uh, it's like 2001, I came across and they had a need for someone to run their mountain bike program. Uh, and again, that was a really good group of guys there. And I ended up working there, I think, 11 summers in the end. Wow. So every it was I mean it was amazing you know you'd have all these kids and you had fun the staff that you work with you then travel with afterwards and 
you know, became a really good group of friends that I still have to this day. And, you know, you know that. Uh, and through that, I actually I ended up doing work there, for the, and then I would travel back to Australia, and I ended up teaching in the school system, uh, recreation and uh, aquatic little teaching, kayaking, paddling, what have you, school kids, fighting in between on the, the school holidays and whatever. And uh, back to uh, California for a few years. I then ended up going to Canada in, I don't remember that was, 2003 or four. I ended up, to, I did a mountaineering semester up in the, the Rockies there. And again, that was a really fun experience. And uh, I, uh, 2006, I met my now wife. Uh, she worked at summer camp there, so that spot's had a lot of good memories for me. It's yeah. a place to meet, and, apparently. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's yeah, exactly. so many, so many couples who are now so married. Many. A lot have kids who came out of mm-hmm. mountain camp. So, Scott Whipple, you know, if you're listening, man, shout out to you. <laughs> for putting all these guys together yeah phil and i were um it was up in the air i'm i'm pretty sure that you had met steph at mountain camp but yeah Mm -hmm. i did i wasn't quite sure obviously you had to be in america for for that to be met was she living still on the east coast but chose to flow out flew out and do mountain camp yes which is quite interesting she she was out there as a sailing instructor mainly and uh so we went back and forth for a few years, and then 2008, I moved over, and uh, I lived in San Francisco. I actually lived in Sausalito the first year on a boat, which was a really cool experience. Oh, that would have been awesome. And, uh, and in Sausalito, yeah. too. Gosh, a beautiful. if anybody knows that area, it's beautiful. That's a really nice spot to have your first experience living on a boat. <laughs> it, it is, yes. You know, waking up, you're sort of looking out towards Angel Island, Alcatraz, and the city there. And also, there's a couple of places there that I ended up working for. Um, There's a sea kayaking group there and they'd run tours all through the bay there and up uh, the coast. And in wintertime, they run some stuff down in Mexico. And um, we on the Via Cortez side. There's some park islands. Did some fighting down there. And it's a little startup bike um, company who uh, are still doing pretty well. So I worked with those guys for quite a while. And so we lived in San Francisco for sort of five years. And uh, however, when it came time to sort of think about having kids and buying a house, uh, San Francisco was a little out of our range. Uh, plus my wife's family is all sort of from New Jersey here. So uh, we, uh, we moved back over here and got ourselves settled. Yeah. Cool. And so, I, now. yeah, okay. I know a lot of people do this and they're like, and now here I am. <laughs> yeah. So where are you? What do you do? Um, yeah, kind of talk about your your guys' life now. So we have three kids. So I've got two girls, seven and five. And we have a little lad who's 17, nearly 18 months old. So they keep us really busy. Uh, I work in what's called rope access. And anytime I tell anyone that, they give me a funny looking face. Uh, what's that? So. We basically use, uh, it originally originated with uh, rock climbing techniques and skills using that within industry. I work for an inspection company. I actually work uh, up north in Alaska these days to uh, 
fly in, fly out, essentially. I do four weeks up there and then four weeks home. So we uh, we work. I put a rig and create road systems so we can access uh, equipment that needs to be inspected. And you do that in the operations up there. Yeah, you do that in Alaska. Do you have much Mm -hmm. of a rock climbing background? Uh, I I mean, naturally being part of that outdoor community, a lot of my friends were climbers. uh, I've I've climbed a bit, you know, uh, but I would never call myself a rock climber. Yes. Just handy with a a rope to be able to build high rope stuff. Exactly. Yeah, you just learn all these skills off to the side and then it makes you mm-hmm. all the more employable. So <laughs> that works out well in your favor. I'm, I'm also getting right. the impression that Toby's maybe slightly humble. So I'm thinking yes. he's probably a better climber than actually giving away here as well. <laughs> well, I used to climb a bit. But the, I mean, I spend you know most of my working days now in a harness and carrying around rope and everything. So yeah, well, I, I rarely climb these days. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so um, you've outlined where you've come from. You're in the States now. You sound like an incredibly busy human, just wrangling three children in itself, I can't imagine. so. <laughs> um, but we did mention in the intro that you have recently built a bike or over a period of time, I'm thinking not necessarily just mm-hmm. instantly, <laughs> um, yeah. and ridden the Great Divide. And I'm super excited about this because it's definitely one of my dreams to race in inverted commas Tour Divide, which covers that route mm-hmm. um, on a bike purchased from someone else. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have no idea how I would build a bike, but we would just love to hear more about that journey the fact that you've ridden the route is just incredible in itself. And the fact that you've done this on a bike, which I believe was made out of wood, we would just yes, love to hear so more hickory. about. Yeah. yeah, hickory. Okay, why? How, how did this start? Well, first, can you give a little bit of an intro? Because I did not know that this was such a thing until I had told Sarah about you. And she's like, oh my gosh, did he do that route? Like, I, I don't know the significance of it. Can you kind of paint a little bit of a picture for people who might not necessarily know what the route you did and why it is so important and special in the bikepacking community? Well, it's, I mean, it's sort of seen as the longest Certainly, and that you know always has some sort of element to it. Uh, granted, this year because of COVID, uh, I rode border to border, so the Canadian border was closed when I did it. Uh, so it shortened up a little bit. It starts in there, uh, and then it makes its way along the Rockies all the way to the Mexican border. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know exactly why it's become the, the quintessential big bikepacking route, but. Uh, there's a couple of movies now out about it. There's you know, a lot of history to it now. Uh, it's sort of evolved over many years to be sort of a. And it, it's challenging, you know. It's a it's a big it's a big ride. <laughs> How long uh, is it, Toby? It's so the traditionally it's two thousand seven hundred and fifty, I think, off the top of my head. And that's miles. Uh, this year I rode two and a half. That yeah, two two and a half thousand miles. Yeah. Uh, so I think it, it's like sort of. 4,000k, I think. I just did the uh, math. It's yeah. literally 4,000k. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because I don't speak in miles anymore. I'm going to speak in k's. Right, I don't speak in k's anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. There's less of them. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, well, you get more more kilometers out of it. Like, if you had your That's watch true. on a on a, mm-hmm. um, a lap, you'd get more of a, the feedback. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and you certainly you traverse obviously with that distance through such different landscape, I imagine as well. And I, I did see you had that iconic picture at Antelope Wells when you get to the border and it's just oh, yeah. anyone who's looked at this route will be familiar. It's kind of like you ride all this way to end up in this what looks like quite a bland place. I don't know if that's a fair it, description. Yeah, no, it's fair. It's it's very, <laughs> you know, flat. it's, I mean, it's, it's rewarding in itself because you have seen that picture and you're kind of like making your way. It's kind of pretty much dead straight and flat. And it was really early in the morning. There was zero other cars uh, out there. So it's just me and actually the tarantulas. You've got to like early in the morning, there's like spiders all over the road. You end up dodging. Oh God, I didn't uh, know that. And the odd, <laughs> odd snake. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought of that. I didn't realize. It was only my last couple of days that well down south there. Uh, but yeah, and then there it is in the distance, a little spot, you know, and I think they have like 20 or 30 people total go through that border there every day. You know, it's not, not anything impressive by any means. So. Which is all part it's, of the curiosity of it as well, isn't it? Exactly. You do this huge ride to end up in this like arbitrary place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, because the whole thing as well, right? To a lot of people, is just arbitrary. Like, why would you go do that? <laughs> but it's because no. it's it's a cool thing to do. So we skip to the end. Mm-hmm. Like, let's rewind. Okay, yeah. Before it even started, why did you? I, I probably assume you chose it because it is kind of one of the things to ride as a, as a bike packer. So mm-hmm. I guess, why did you choose to do it on a homemade bike and talk a little bit about that process of <laughs> making the bike? Cause that's super interesting. And half of it is because I live with Phil Vaughn who wants to know everything right. about how you made the bike. <laughs> He's a chippy at heart. So. He is. He is. So, uh, to go, actually I'll go rewind a little yeah. further. Yeah. I actually, so when I started working in Prudhoe Bay, that was, when I realized I could ride that whole road very easily, I just take my bike to work one time and in the summer and leave work and ride south. And over the next couple of years, I linked together. I didn't, really only wanted to take a week or so away from home, you know, to be off riding. So then I rode across to into the Yukon and then through, uh, through the Rockies uh, down into Banff. So, cumulatively over a few years and I've ridden to Banff and then I'm like, okay, well, I might as well keep going. And I wanted to do it sort of in one hit if I could, knowing that, you know, the divide route runs through there. Uh, and to, to be honest, I, I did not have some sort of idea years ago that I'm going to build my own wooden bike at home and then go ride this. It was just one of these things that kind of slowly came together. I'd always had the idea of trying to build a bike out of timber and so i started and that process really took a couple of years uh, a lot of sort of figuring out how to make joints and how to how to do the process um there's a couple of bike companies out there doing timber bikes but not a lot so there's a lot of nights i just lying there thinking about how i was going to achieve something I'm sure Steph Uh, probably had the feeling of, I don't know if you've ever seen the memes of like, he must be cheating on me. (laughs) And then in the the male's mind, it's like, how do I build this? Should I be Uh steaming it or should I be doing this? (laughs) Mm -hmm. As you're lying in bed. (laughs) Right. It was a lot of mulling. We need more thinking than than actual construction time went into that bike, I think. Uh, And then it's sort of these things were sort of coming together, the timeline when I was going to do but I potentially was going to be able to do this ride and when the bike was looking like it was going to be done. 
started thinking, well, maybe I'll give this a shot. And uh, I did a little test. It didn't get a lot of testing. So I sort of headed out and I was like, well, we'll see. <laughs> and, wow. and it lasted. It's just so. incredible. I Yeah, I mean, I... I'm not handy. I've never made anything. I can crochet actually. So, oh, okay. <laughs> but I don't think a crocheted bike would get me far. <laughs> so, to be clear, was the intention when you were building the bike to build it for the purpose of riding the divide, or were you like, I just want to build a bike, and then the divide came because of the timing? Yes. So, I actually, it's, it's probably not the ideal bike for the divide. No. Uh, <laughs> No, uh, and I started with so I actually started with plus size twenty nine plus tires. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, my thinking there was sort of to be cushioning the wooden frame a little bit more, so it's not getting too much in the way of harsh hits and what have you. Yeah. Uh, I ended up leaving a, putting a solid fork on it rather than a suspension fork in the end. Yeah. But uh, you know, so if I was building it specifically to divide, you sort of you're going to run narrower tires, probably uh, uh, maybe a drop bar versus a flat bar and some other things. I don't, I don't know. The so, balance is come, wins out quite often in the end. So. Yeah. I mean, it's because, it, yes, it was, I'm trying to think of the picture as a flat bar bike. Did you have aero bars on it or? I did. Yes. So I actually put aero bars and I've used them quite often on tours and I don't actually spend a ton of time in the aero bar, especially on this trip. But actually, they were primarily there. I actually use them like a rack almost. So I hang a bag off of them. Yeah, this is and then, yeah. <laughs> Extra storage yeah. space. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're great for that rather than actually putting something on there specifically for that. And then also to get weight off your wrist, you know, so you can spend some time getting there. Or actually, I'd quite often just hang on to the the uh, pads that you would use for your elbows otherwise at the end of the day it's ex- like i just did a trip in the outback i put aero bars on i've got a drop bar um gravel or mm-hmm. adventure bike and they pretty much turned into the final day i just couldn't get stuff packed but it's always that final day where you're like oh organization has gone well for me anyway i couldn't get the stuff back in the bags and i pretty much just strapped with those volley straps everything mm-hmm. i owned to the aero bars <laughs> Oh, yeah. And they'd been used on previous days as like my drying rack as well when I'd done some laundry like in a creek and then I just like stuck my bibs on the nice. front of them. <laughs> so <laughs> I can relate to that for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I love that. I've got nothing to... What are they? <laughs> <laughs> and then in terms of gearing, just to be slightly geeky on the bike side, what did you do yeah. with that? So I actually uh, ran a two-by on that okay. bike. Uh, so it's a... It's an XT um, two by eleven, and so the back I think the lowest is like a forty eight. Uh, but I actually hunted down. Uh, it was a, the front was a thirty six twenty six, mm-hmm. and then I hunted around, and the, the three by granny ring actually fits on them, and so because it's an asymmetrical bolt pattern, unfortunately. So I got a twenty two on there for a granny which just meant I could just sit and spin, you know, and, and you need it. Some of those, there's some real rocky climbs. Yep. It's really hard to get any sort of pace going. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because yeah. how heavy, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to picture how heavy a wooden bike is. Is this something? Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, it depends how you make it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so this, my particular bike, my frame came out at like three kilo or three and a bit kilo. Right. So that's, I mean, that's sort of on par with like a, a decent 
like a solid steel frame. I think. Yeah. And Phil was yeah. looking up stuff as well, because again, now Phil's inspired to make his own bike too. And oh, he was, awesome. yeah, he's, uh, yeah. so thank you for that. <laughs> My house Kristen's now, neither meme. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to turn into, uh, our whole house is just going to be woodworking. Um, but yeah, he said that he was aiming for around six pounds is what he was seeing online on forum on forums and stuff. So that would be probably around that three kilo mark, maybe just a little bit, um, a little bit under as well. What what sort mm-hmm. of timber did you use? So I used all hickory. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's the best, but I think it's, it's definitely a resilient wood. So that's sort of what I went with. Yeah, because you'd have to take into consideration weight versus um, stability of it too. I don't know anything mm-hmm. about wood, but I'm sure that <laughs> is a huge thing. Would you change it next time, or would you would you recommend for the next generation making their own bikes mm-hmm. to use hickory? I don't know. I I would. I'd potentially, I don't know, you know, I'm sort of self-taught woodworker. Uh, so I think there are people out there with a much better knowledge of the various species and how they act. Uh, I've seen people using ash. Uh, it may be a sort of a springier, tauter wood might work better. Uh, I definitely had a little bit of slop in the frame. If you got up out of the saddle and sort of pedal hard, you could sort of see the flex and feel it. But losing a little energy there, but again, you I, you get that back with comfort in the ride. So mm. I don't know what the the best part is. Probably more, you could probably get a better change with the geometry than uh, maybe just the wood. Yeah, just oh, just incredible. I I think like the achievement of riding that route in itself is amazing, and then doing it on your own bike must feel. Yeah, it's just talk about self-propelled and like self-created. It's so cool. <laughs> um, so we mentioned the route's about 4,000 Ks. What was your approach to the ride? Were you touring slowly? Was this like going for a FKT? What, what were you doing? <laughs> no, it, it was definitely a touring approach. Uh, the the caveat with that was I didn't want to be away from home any longer than I needed to be. Of course. Uh, I, I didn't actually necessarily know that I was going to finish the route in one go. There's there so many unknowns for me as to how I was going to perform, how the bike was going to perform, if the bike was going to stay in one piece, uh, <laughs> things like that. So you know, I have fam- family in Denver that was potentially a, a, a spot where maybe I could pop out, you know, and then continue later on. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't even start with that concept of you know finishing in one hit. I just wanted to sort of do the best I could and focus on knocking off as many miles so it started once I got sort of a week a week and a half in and I was able to make reasonable progress each day uh, and things sort of everything looked like it was going to you know stay together uh, then I sort of looked at the concept of finishing it in the one hit there so yeah oh, cool. how, how long did it ultimately take you so I wrote it in 27 days, I think 27 or 28. Wow. Yeah. So when you say reasonable progress, you were covering some distance each day. Mm. Right. Yeah. I think I averaged right around just under 100 miles a day. Yeah. Uh, so that was sort of some days, obviously with this route, it's it's very circuitous. So it follows the rocky and the, the idea when they designed it was to keep you mostly on dirt or uh, sort of... Uh, unpaved or at least minor roads if they were paved it's almost a little annoying in some concepts you you might go from you know you go from a to b 
which via the highway might be 30 or 40 miles, but you take 60 or 80 miles to get there and twice the vertical main, you know, but you, you do end up going through some beautiful places that most people wouldn't travel. Um, there's, there's definitely beauty in that, but also when you're fatigued and struggling and you know, everything else, and you're also sometimes like, ah, oh, I want to get there. Looking at the map thinking this could have been a lot shorter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. The, the one video that Sarah did share to me to give me some insight onto the route, um, she was like Lale Wilcox I shared I was obviously like mm. Lale's obviously one of my heroes so yeah <laughs> and I'm like who's this chick she looks awesome but I've got no concept of it but she the way that she was explaining it was really beautiful in the way that it is quite accessible even for like almost anybody because the route mm-hmm. is so you know beautiful either gravel or dirt or just you know pretty maneuverable you obviously have to have the fitness but she, like her, the big takeaway that I took from her as well is anybody can do it if they want to which is pretty incredible some of these routes you just get all these technical stuff and so not only does the distance scare people but also the technicality of it too so I'm like oh okay right. cool she said that I could do it <laughs> you could <laughs> and I'm like Sarah let's do it yeah. together <laughs> yes and I'm like yes let's <laughs> And so if you, first of all, I find it interesting that you went in with the mindset of not necessarily completing the whole thing, but doing that, but actually completing it. Because I feel like many of us, if we went in with that mindset, just simply wouldn't complete it. How, like, how were you in your head when you were out there? What did that feel like? Uh, You get a lot of time to think, right? (laughs) Yeah, indeed. (laughs) So I... I guess deep down, I really did want to do it in one go if I could. There's sort of a some element of satisfaction, you know, away and sort of say I did it. Uh, and the the only caveat I guess I have to say with that is the the route actually has a bunch of different options. You know, when, when you get the maps and things like that, there's a couple of workarounds in some places. Down south, I actually did have to take some of the tarmac options because it was a bit later in the year, so there's a lot of monsoonal weather these massive storms and some of these areas become really sort of sticky mud. You really don't want to get through them at all. So I, uh, I took the work around on a couple of those. And then up north, there's a couple of spots where there's a big rocky mountain. And then even published on the, the actual maps that you get, you know, it's you go route A or route B. And for the sake of preserving my bike, whenever I, I those spots, I took an easier uh, option around, or at least a smoother, maybe they were actually longer. Uh, the rocky climbing or descending and then so in terms of you mentioned riding like a hundred mile average a day which is enormous how did you plan like where you were going to stop what was your sleep system did you stay in accommodation like what was your approach to that so over the years I've sort of my my sleep system for this actually was different from what I've previously done. Did you make so it out I of went... wood? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, this, is, this year I, I took a bivy, uh, but I I left the sleeping bag at home. I took a pair of like down pants and two sort of medium weight uh, puffy jackets. Uh, and then my sort of riding clothes and what have you. And so... There's actually a couple of good resources out there for the, the maps that you can get from ACA, which is the, the group that actually produced the, the route initially. Uh, but there's a couple of online groups that actually 
have printout pages which have like mileage, distance, elevation, gains between, and then resources within a, each town as you go along. And so I just carry them. Really, I just have enough on me, particularly have with my being like as wooden. I wanted to have a little extra up my sleeve in case something did fail. So anytime I was out there, I definitely had sort of potentially another night's meal with me, plus a little extra water and a little extra food and what have you. Just make it up if I, something really did fail. Um, but yeah, I just I rode along, and then each day you've got that time to think. So it's a good time to be riding along, looking at the map, or looking at the distance to the next town or whatever. You can start to okay. I'm going to make it through here in the afternoon. I just grab some snacks, maybe eat an early dinner, ride on for a couple more hours. Or, you know, I mean, some days I just, I rode midnight or beyond, depending on where you're at, just, you know, and how you're feeling. Too. Um, so towards the end, I definitely, sort of, I think into week three, uh, there's a couple of spots, certainly when you get to sit down in Colorado, dodging those monsoons, I ended up in a hotel at five or six in the afternoon and just get it all all evening uh, so it was kind of a, a nice spot to grab a hotel occasionally yeah of course and then talking about the weather like what was the temperature range like what were you dealing with while you were out there so I actually my whole trip I was pretty blessed I ended up with some good winds generally speaking uh reasonable weather this summer there was a lot of uh heat going around mm-hmm. uh, a lot of hot spots and I really only had to deal with a couple of days of high temps I think 114 or something was my highest temp I got in the Great Basin but for the most part I had decent temperatures for riding and and fair winds and it was dry I think wind and rain on this this big stretches where you've got this sort of dirt that turns to clay mud or if you hit that you know you're doing two three miles an hour maybe and there's actually a couple of people I spoke to that had been, you know, a couple of weeks ahead and then they hit some really bad winds and they were averaging four or five miles an hour on the flat, you know, going. Oh, oh that's uh, pretty much it. That, that'll break you down. That'll quick. break your yeah. heart <laughs> in multiple ways. And you mentioned as well that there were kind of a couple of times, you didn't say it explicitly, but kind of times that you were feeling a bit low as well. Did you go through kind of those peaks and, and dips throughout the kind of journey yeah yeah uh for sure uh in daily too you sort of you get up after the first week i was definitely you know feeling it in the morning it was definitely a struggle just to get yourself moving get a you know get some caffeine in the body and uh get warm uh, which really movement was sort of the best thing there just getting on your bike and starting to roll uh, plus, you quite a, you're rolling through these beautiful areas, so that sort of brings a bit of joy as well. Uh, and then just thinking back to well, the one thing that I I did was actually this year, was the first time I'd done it with a ride, but I knew I was going to need a little extra. Uh, I, my family all sent me photos, and so I had little cutouts of them, and I taped them onto sort of my top tube and onto my error bars. So, oh, another uh, another all, use for the error bars, everyone. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> But no, it was just nice to look down at the, you know, smiling, grinning, stupid faces and whatever. So it was always a, a little pick-me-up as well. Cute. 
That's lovely. Yeah, Yeah, that has to be incredibly hard. And I I guess we always love to dig into the why of these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you obviously, that's, it's a big challenge leaving family. It can be, we talk about how it can be perceived as selfish because you're just taking this time to do this for you. There's also some incredible benefits, obviously, from doing that. But what was your why for doing this? Well, it's a tricky question. I just, I kind of like getting out and pushing myself every now and again. Uh, it, it definitely makes you feel alive. Um, and there's, I don't know, some sort of deep satisfaction that comes with it. Uh, certainly with this, sort of having produced the bike and what have you, uh, there was more you know, satisfaction as I finished. I really yeah, you know, come away with that. Everything stayed in one piece. Uh, and I think to touch on you, you're right. It's sort of it is seen as selfish sometimes. But the other, the flip side of it is to, you know, have your kids and what have you. you know, as long as you're not doing it all the time, no way. You know, I, I do maybe one trip a year or I'm away. But to have your kids see you out there, sort of watching struggle and do something, you know, pretty, you know, decent. Then uh, I think there's a lot of value in that too. An incredible role model, I would say. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I was going to – I don't want to get too far off of it yet because I th- still think there's a little bit to dive into, but I was going to touch on the on the kid aspect because I would fully agree with you that I think it's important for kids to see their parents still working for things, showing what it mm-hmm. takes to work for things, and then going out and doing it and struggling a little bit and getting to the end right. and feeling really you know proud of themselves and successful. I mean, you know, both my parents, they've been super active. They've been a huge part of what I think has made me kind of who I am as well in that regard, too. Do you find that your kids are kind of showing an interest in being outside with you? Like, again, on your Instagram, you've got, you know, photos of them on the back of your bike and you've made up this double Mm -hmm. you know, seat and thing. So whether it's uh, you that's putting them there or are they quite keen to get out and, you know, spend some time with dad outside? Uh, at this point, you know, they're still young enough. They're sort of really keen and interested, I feel like, in, in what we do. As they get older, obviously, their interests well diverge. But I think there's some seeds that you can at least leave them with, no matter where they end up, as far as, you know, being able to push themselves. I remember when my eldest was learning to ride her bike, I actually got the most benefit if I'd take my unicycle out. And I'd taken a hiatus, and I was struggling to get back into form on it. So I was falling off almost as much as she was. And she would, she, you know, she'd try again and try again and try again while I was doing the same thing, you know, on the same, you know, maybe up and over a log or a little, you know, over a piece of wood or something. And I think her seeing, you know, me fall off as much as she gave her some, I don't know what it gave her, but maybe some joy. How cool is that? I love that little shared journey. That's just so special. So yeah, parents, get on your unicycles. (laughs) (laughs) And I believe your unicycle is also made out of wood. Is that correct? Uh, One of them is, yeah. (laughs) It was kind of a... Just one in the quiver. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. I love it. (laughs) That's awesome. So again, I don't want to get too far off of the the trip if there is anything else Mm. that we can kind of touch on there. What was like a real highlight of the trip and what was a real low point of the trip? I mean, it's hard to to pull one highlight out. Uh, Generally speaking, actually, one of the real joys of it is there's quite a community along the route that support the riders and 
I mean, my second night, I think I stop in and there's on the map, actually, they've got some contacts along there and you, you ring Tom and Tom actually and his wife, he was a site, he made bikes when he was younger, you know, they're a retired couple. They just let you camp on the lawn and they had a cooler there or an esky out there with, you know, a beer and a Coke and a few things for me waiting. And they didn't want to take any money at all. And you know, she used to ride triathlons in her day. As you go along, there's sort of these places you can stay. Another place where you, you'd stop in just before you get into Colorado, uh, this lodge, and this lady runs it. And you roll up, and she does it on donation basis. There's like, hey, couple of the beer, pizzas, whatever, whatever you want. Leave me some money when you go. Uh, so there's this community along there that supports you and it really makes you included. Uh, as far as a, I, there wasn't actually sort of any real like rock bottom terrible moment, but it was you know there was plenty of times where sort of uh, struggling or you know the pain and you know there's various illnesses that come with spending a lot of time on a bicycle um, that can uh, drag you down. So uh, I, you know there's sort of just these, and you know when it's raining and you know, cold or something like that maybe. There's almost a, a beauty in that too. Like you sort of like, <laughs> as you move through it, I mean, you know, that on long runs, like I've done any long, long runs, but just that, you know, pushing yourself as you sort of like crawl through this pain and discomfort or whatever. Totally. Cause I paid to do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like I did a hundred K right. over the weekend. I paid it a lot of money to like hurt a lot. <laughs> You're not even right. paying any money. You're choosing to be there. And that's part of the beauty of it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of goes back to your why of pushing yourself and digging into those wells and going, I can get myself out of here. And it just gives you perspective in life. I reckon. There's definitely right. satisfaction to come with that. And I suppose you're talking about, because essentially this, these tours or these long rides are essentially a game of sitting on your bike right mm-hmm. um in terms of preparation for it you've obviously you're obviously incredibly experienced adventure wise and looking after yourself but how much specific training did you do for the riding so actually i did more for this one than i have previously and i i find as the years go by uh, i have to do more and more uh i also my work as you know as i get further um further up i spend you know less Back when I was guiding and active outside, I was just generally fit. I could jump on a bike and where I'd go. Uh, these days, so just around the pandemic time, I, I bought sort of one of these smart trainers and got into sort of the online plat- training platforms that are available now. And uh, I really like them. I mean, I've definitely seen a benefit for that. So I do, you know, three or four days a week in the basement downstairs um, and then try and get out on a longer ride, maybe on the weekend or something. And again, like the balance in that family, you know, when I'm not, if I'm out traveling, then that's my time away. When I'm back here, then you know, being a good husband and being present and doing as much as I can for that. So those rides are quite often 4.35 in the morning. So I can, I can do that, be back up, get breakfast and get sort of done and stuff like that. Um, and it's not really impacting it, you know, our day too much. Yeah, that's certainly, it's such a, a consistent theme with the people that we are talking to is is balancing and compromise and having to get up early, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just to make everything work. A little quintessential shout out to America. I like that you train in your basement. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's not very many Good. basements here. Were you on Zwift no. specifically? Uh, no, actually, I used uh, Trainer Road. Okay. Yeah. Uh, cool. yeah. Do you know that? Yeah, similar idea. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. I only know Zwift. <laughs> um, I am going to ask this question just looping back to your experience, looping back to one of my quickfire questions. My biggest fear when you talk about sleeping in a bivy would be bears. How did you handle that? Like, do you have like a bear container? Like what on earth do you do? And how do you sleep knowing that something might be wanting to eat you? Also know that well, you're in Australia and everything here wants to kill you. So it doesn't. Like right, yeah. it doesn't. It's only a mistake here. Whereas over there, mountain lions and bears want to eat you. True, true. I guess if you accidentally step on a red belly snake, it's going to go, all right, I'm going to bite you, but it's not coming to seek you out. Like potentially a mountain mm-hmm. lion is that's stalking you. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> No, I, fatigue helps, basically. So, <laughs> if your brain doesn't oh, think too, too deeply no, about it, then you're safe. <laughs> honestly, it was, it's definitely a concern. You know, lying in a bivy. I mean, I, I had my best brace, you know, in the bivy right next to me. Yeah. I'd sort of like think in my mind, okay, it's right there. In, in all honesty, you're like, ah, if, you know, if something came and sat on me or, you know, <laughs> just had a munch to see what this burrito You're like a burrito, ground, exactly. You know? exactly right? <laughs> so uh, no i don't part of it's being smart about your setup so definitely like being bear aware so you you know when i'm riding i would stop uh cook or you know eat what my food is going to be for the evening then get back on the bike and I'd typically ride i'd normally put another 20 minutes half hour in yeah okay and then in camp hanging your food or at least getting it away from you you know some of these sections it's sort of there's no trees around you at all so mm. making sure you food well away from you making sure it's, you know, checking the wind direction so food is not wafting past you you know and and that includes all the other smelly things like toothpaste or you know greens stuff like that uh, and then lie down and cross your fingers and <laughs> go to sleep and uh, don't sleep that long <laughs> this is what I was thinking is like I could be challenging Lael's FKT because I'd just be so freaking terrified <laughs> yeah. she doesn't sleep at all it seems. no I, I'm just uh, joking I definitely uh, have no hope <laughs> but, does yeah. she actually not sleep at all she's incredible the way she just she rides and she rides she did just try an FKT and she was affected by the wildfires and the smoke and she did actually stay in accommodation then just to get out of the smoke but typically she'll just ride and ride it's yeah. is the FKT about 14 days Days just to put it into perspective or something or mm-hmm. is that yes. what I saw? Yeah. Yes it is. Yeah Mike Hall has it from Yeah that's right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> who who holds the record? sorry uh, Mike Hall. Michael. Um, who's, yeah. Okay. Um, so we did an interview with a friend of mine, Matt, who knew Michael. So oh. yeah, unfortunately, he was killed riding his bike, but it was an absolute legend of the sport. He's Australian, or he yes. rode in Australia no, or something, isn't he? He was. He was. The accident was in Australia. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Unfortunately. So yes, that record on. still stands. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay, so now I just know I have to be really tired and sleep with bear spray in my hand and yeah <laughs> have the, the best. has there ever actually even been an accident or any sort of fatality oh you're smiling as if you've got a story no I was oh, like, okay unfortunately a woman was killed this year oh yeah, seriously um, yeah. yes oh by yeah. a bear or what was this mm-hmm. whoa so yes. and, and the bears are different out there right because california we get all the like lazy brown and black bears generally 
that um, right yeah right so yeah Sierra's there definitely most around the camp we had black and you kind of say boo at them and they run away yeah um, kitty cats you run into those camp bears uh up so through the 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 ride is you get the you get the brown bears so grizzlies and um and black bears but either way you kind of want to treat them with a little respect uh some of the Sierra bears maybe are around people a little more, but uh, the the problem and unfortunately this incident the the bear was sort of accustomed. It was a it's a little town. There's people camped there all the time, and so it's quite used to people. It wasn't scared away. Uh, and unfortunately, yeah, this lady was in a tent. Yeah. Yeah. And investigate. Wow. I didn't realize that that was actually a, yeah, a it's legitimate real. concern. Yeah, wow. Well, it's interesting. Mm. Um, anything else that you feel like we missed out on from the trip that you'd like to speak about or anything like that? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, you're right. I think one of your comments earlier was that anyone can do it. And, you know, there's a lot of people out on this route and, uh, and all sorts of people, you know, I'd sort of go part, there's quite a few couples out there. Um, it's probably a good testing ground, I guess, if you finish yeah. that ride together. You're pretty you could solid. either teach your couple uh, uh, partner to ski or you could go do this. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> and, uh, there, you know, there's some old guys just cruising along, taking several months to knock it off. Uh, oh, quite, there's a couple of young people that had sort of finished college and were out there. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's not a technical mountain bike. It's not really super tricky. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of good resources out there as far as, you know, what effect and, and whatnot. So uh, it's, it's definitely something you can, you know, if, you, if you're keen and thinking about it, I'd say, you know, you've got to like, obviously with travel these days and everything's a little tricky, but once things ease up, yeah, you can, you know, most people could sort of themselves organize. There's a lot of little skills that, want, you know, you want to pick up probably thing and, bear awareness and all that stuff but i think uh, it's within the range of most people if cool would you give any sort of like if there was one piece of advice that you could give anybody like me right who's just coming into it what would you what would be kind of the biggest piece of advice for you i well i guess what i've, I've actually met a few people that have spoken to me about some of the, the routes i've ridden and i think one of the things i learned years ago was i been thinking about riding the nullarbor for years and years and years i never sort of pulled the trigger on it you know i kind of just one year i was like okay i just i gotta like set the date and it was like six months out so i had a lot of time to then you know so once i bought the ticket figured out i was going there's a lot of time within that to sort of then figure out what you do need to know practice learn you know whether you need to figure out how to learn to cook outside or how to camp and all those things um first aid skills uh and uh, figure all those things out after you sort of you know the, pull the trigger what is it the ready aim fire, fire or whatever that yeah <laughs> so that's different now is it the ready fire aim oh I, process oh, or whatever it oh, is oh right you right, right. What i see about? what you're saying yeah yeah get get yourself yeah, like pull the trigger and then figure out what you're exactly doing, yeah yeah, yeah. And that's kind of almost what Matt was saying too in a roundabout way as well. Like um, Matt, when he does some of these adventures, you know, you can kind of sit on mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, eventually I'll do this. Eventually I'll get to do yeah, Eventually I'll get there, right? But sometimes right. what Matt was saying is if you put it out there of like, I'm going to do this 
at this date. Mm -hmm. You kind of almost give yourself, and it's a little bit of that ego-driven thing too, sometimes that might be the push that people need. But like, yeah, it's the, like what you said, ready, fire, aim, (laughs) whatever we want to call it. I made a meal of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. we got what you were saying. Jump off the cliff and build the plane on the way. Oh, good one. That's a nice. (laughs) Sarah saves the day. It's a balance because it, there's definitely some of these trips that have elements of danger to it that, you know, you, you need to be capable of handling. You know? um, so you don't want to be just jumping out and doing any, but do your research, get your skills. And, and yeah, certainly and, something like this, I'd say, was well within reach. And yeah. I, I do think, and this is personal, I guess, from the ride that I've just done, there's so much fear out there about going out and doing these trips. And actually my response is, well, preparation really reduces mm-hmm. a lot of that fear. You know, it's like, yes, you can't predict everything that's going to happen, but if you know that you have those skills, like your first aid, your mechanical stuff, how to look after yourself with wildlife, all of that stuff, that reduces the fear as well, because you know that you have experience and prep there. Right. And, I, and nowadays, certainly, you know, you've got Garmin in reach or you've got, I carried a spot device on this. So there's, yeah. it's, it's easy to hit the button and like call for help. Uh, but the other, the other thing I think is attitude. I had a couple of incidents on this ride, actually, that now you mentioned that, which were kind of Hollywood, like horror movie sort of things where I'm, I'm cycling along one night, I'm like riding up into a hill in Colorado, black, black skies, you know, it's about to burst in one of these massive downpours sort of winding my way up into this sort of really weird little hill some guy comes pottering down the hill in a real beat up rusty old pickup he's like oh bad storm you know there's a an abandoned cabin up the top of the hill you can camp in for the night if you want you know just sort of wiggle the window and climb in you'll be fine so i do that and i and then i actually camped that night in the there's a little uh, shed on the side of this building so i just camped under there and it did like two minutes later just hail and rain it was Actually, I had earplugs with me and I put them in the wow. tin roof and it was so loud. But then through that storm, these pair of headlights come pottering back up past me and then back. And it's just like that sort of eerie, you know, you can see it as the start of a Hollywood movie where you know, some, some horror flick. But he was just coming back to check that I was okay and I'd got, you know, shelter. In it. So he was you know, totally genuine. But your mind can start to play tricks on you there. It absolutely can. And and like you say, attitude is everything when it comes to that. We we are so conditioned, I think, in many ways to assume the worst. And humans are like probably mm-hmm. my biggest fear on a trip. But at the same time, my experience typically on a trip is, and you mentioned it at the start, that the connections you make and the people that are out there, 99% of the time are absolutely beautiful. And how nice that that guy was coming back to check on you. So, exactly. But your mind yeah. can run wild. Absolutely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm familiar with this when it comes to wild dogs and all sorts of stuff around my tent. So, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway. A whole different thing. <laughs> Just about its grizzlies. Yes. Okay. I'm really conscious of time. I feel like Toby, I, I just want to speak to you for hours about so many adventures. You're paddling, all the stuff that sounds like you've done. I didn't even just touch the tip of the iceberg for I know. what you've done. <laughs> but this is also the Everyday Adventurer podcast and Kristen has to go to work. So okay, yeah. it's, it's real. 
<laughs> so we always like to end on a bit of a, a final question um, because mm-hmm. it is into the wee hours. So I always like to throw it back over to Sarah because she introduces it pretty well. And if you listen to the end of Matt's podcast, you might know what's coming. <laughs> so first of all, into the wee hours is not this meaning of it. We meaning small in Scottish, but that's okay. <laughs> so I was coaching a group of little girls mountain biking and they can't make it through the hours session without needing to go to the toilet. And their request is always, hey, I need to go for a wild wee, which we figured was pretty cute. So this big, deep and meaningful question for you, Toby, is what has been your wildest wee? And this could be anything, not just on the last and final trip. (laughs) Well, I've had the privilege of having a wee in uh, many, many places uh, that are relatively wild. I'd, I'd say actually there's a, maybe this is a boy thing, but like there's a lot of satisfaction having a wee off something really high. Uh, so I've done some, I remember doing some work down uh, in coastal Redwoods. I used to work for a company. Uh, we'd do sort of zip lines and, you know, challenge courses and some of them were in trees. And so we're up pretty high in a, a coastal Redwood just off the cliff, uh, off the coast of California there. And uh, so that was probably uh, my, one of my wilder wees. So is this uh, as you were suspended up in the trees and just... <laughs> We were up there doing some work, so yeah, we were. I hope you spotted your landing first, so that nobody was gonna <laughs> get the brunt. We were we were tied up. It was. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, no one was underneath. That's very yeah, good. Yeah, that. yeah. We always like to end on something, you know, pretty thought provoking for the listeners. So that mm-hmm. was really good. good <laughs> well, thank you again so much for your time, Toby. Thank your family as well for letting us steal you for an hour. That was really cool. And I, um, yeah, I loved hearing about all of that. Again, we could get into so many other adventures. There are different types of ones that I'm sure you've been on, failed ones that we didn't even touch on too, which is part of everybody. But thank you for sharing a little bit of your insights on all of that. That's been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. It really has been a pleasure to speak to you. Yeah. We'll catch up soon. Thank you again, Tobe. Say hi to Steph. See ya. Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Into the Wee Hours podcast. To get in touch, you can find us on Instagram at Into the Wee Hours podcast or email us at Into the Wee Hours podcast at gmail.com. Sarah is all the gear, nay idea, and that is N-A-E for all you non-Scots people. And Kristen is at Kristen Vaughton on Instagram. To read the show notes or to find out more about fast packing and bike packing workshops, visit intothewehours.com or follow at intothewehours on Instagram and Facebook. Happy adventuring and we'll talk to you next time.